Brother Allen asked if I'd come and give him a hand this morning. I said I certainly would, would very much appreciate the privilege of being with you. And uh, I'm not going to ask you what we preached on last time I was with you, because time is very important this morning. I'm going to take up the book of Jonah, and that means that, uh, you know, every chapter. Now, I promise I'm going to let you out before 2 o'clock, all right? All right. You know, just let's bow, ask the Lord for help again. Father, we thank you indeed uh, for the privilege of being with your children. There's nothing in the world that's better or grander than the fellowship of saints. And we thank you for it, Lord. There are no substitutes for it. And we are like family. We are family, and we thank you. As members of the body of Christ, the bond that brings us together is so precious and so vital. Help us that we may never lose sight of it. And again, we ask it this morning, you'll just impart to us the bread of life. It is your word, Lord. We ask that you'll speak to our hearts for your glory, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I don't know if it was announced in the bulletin. I believe so that we'd be on Jonah. And um, the cost of disobedience. All of us know something about it. And uh, so we're not being pointed and arrogant and saying, you're disobedient. But it's just a message for all of us today, including the preacher, all right? Now, the, the book really is not about a great fish. It's about a bird. Jonah means dove. It's about Jonah, really. And um, chapter 1, you have the idea of accommodation. Chapter 2, you have the idea of supplication. Praying in the belly of a fish. Can you imagine that? Chapter 3 is the idea of proclamation. He uh, finally obeys the command of God and he goes out and he preaches to Nineveh. And chapter 4, strange enough, is uh, I've used the word irritation. Why a preacher want to get angry when a revival or a real time of spiritual awakening takes place is beyond me. But he was actually angry when it happened. And then, of course, there are other um, outlines that you could use, that, um, such as chapter 1, abandonment to the plan of God. Chapter 2, he acknowledges the plan of God and is in full agreement in chapter 3. And chapter 4, he has an attitude problem. And I heard Pastor Jerry Vine uh, of a Baptist church on the cruise ship some time ago, and he took up uh, Jonah. I don't remember everything he said, but I like his outline. He said, chapter 1, Jonah ran from God. Chapter 2, he ran to God. Chapter 3, he ran for God. And chapter 4, he ran into God. You say, Brother Perry, into God isn't the same as to God. Oh, no, it's a great difference. When you run to God, you go there for help, right? But when he ran into God, there was a confrontation. And it was an argument, so it's altogether different. And so we take that little thought, uh, uh, that little outline of Pastor Jerry Vine. Now, this book has been criticized by liberals and by infidels. The atheists uh, laugh at us because we believe in the book of Jonah. If the master of the Lord Jesus believed in, in Jonah, can we not? He drew perhaps one of his greatest um, uh, truths on the resurrection from it. And so, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's certainly good enough for me. 
A lady was telling an atheist, says, my husband and I are born-again believers, we're Christians. And my father and my mother were Christians. And the atheist thought to be kind of smart. He said, suppose your father and mother were morons. She said, then I would be an atheist. <laughs> my friend, if, if you believe, you must believe the word of God. You must believe everything about the Word of God. Don't leave anything out. It's God's revelation to us. That's what we live by. And so Jonah, God gives the command, but Jonah has his own plan. Is that kind of popular today? A lot of us have our own plans in life. And we are to plan. Make sure it's always in the will of God. And so we're told that he went down to Nineveh after God gave him uh, the command to go and preach to that great city. And he said, the city, I I want you to cry against it. I want you to preach against uh, Nineveh. But he arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Apparently he didn't read Psalm 139. To flee from the presence of the Lord? The psalmist says, where can I go um, from thy spirit? Where could I go from heaven? Because you're there. Even if I, if I go to hell, you're there. And in the uttermost parts of the sea, thou art there. Even the darkness cannot cover light. You're always there. And, the, and Jonah, he fled. Now, it's amazing how it only would perhaps, I, I'm not sure of this, but maybe 400 miles from Galilee up to Nineveh. Instead, he goes and he travels no less than 1,500 miles to get away from God. Maybe you're here today and you, maybe you felt like you failed and we're going to talk a little bit about that later on. But you know something and uh, you, you feel the further you get away, it's better. And so you try to drown a lot of your actions and drown a, a lot of things that you've been involved in and with. And you discover that you cannot. Some people go to drink. But your problems only float. You, you, you can't really do it. You, you may try it. Some want to high on drugs. And uh, so we got a society and problems. Brother Allen prayed for the country and the problems we're faced with. And they are momentous. And I, I wonder sometimes if we're heading, heading for a Nineveh type of, of, of mindset in the country. Because... It is just amazing what's happening. He said they, they act, they snuff out our life as if there is no God. Love, we're living in terrible times. But listen, God is able. I believe a revival can come to Nassau and the Bahamas just like it did in, in Nineveh. I believe that. And I know there are troublous times. But let's trust the Lord uh, for it. And so uh, we come to this chapter and, you know, it says, and he paid the fare. The devil will always let you pay the fare wherever you're going. Don't worry about that. He went down, down, down. Every step was down, down to Tarsha, down to Joppa, rather, down to Tarsha, down to the sea, down to the uh, bottom of the little boat, by the way, fast asleep, and then down into the sea, then down into the fish's belly. You see, the steps are just downward when you get away from the Lord. You just go down, down, down. And, uh, and in fact, 
The men asked him, what is your occupation? Sad when the world has asked you that as a believer, you know. Where are you from? Who are your people? And then he had to tell them. And he said, I am a Hebrew. Identification is important. Now, the Hebrews were not accepted at that time. In fact, they haven't been accepted in any time. But, you know, identification is important. Don't be afraid or ashamed to let people know that you are a Christian. Not that you put a big sign up on your chest that I am a believer. No, that's not the idea. It's my deportment in life, how I live, my attitude, my love. Uh, and uh, we always have a little crack in our armor when it comes to these things. We're a little weak in it sometimes. But don't give up. Don't get discouraged. And uh, don't let the devil frustrate you and say, you're of no earthly good. Like some person said, you're too heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. That's not true. Most people that are earthly good are heavenly minded people. So get your mind out of the gutter. Get your mind off yourself. Don't go on a pity party and start pouting like poor Jonah did in chapter 4. Just remember who you are. And don't be afraid with your identification. It is important. It is very, very important. I remember reading about a man that was going to South America many years ago. And he asked the Christians to pray for him. So they did. Because where he was going, they were anti uh, Christianity, anti-Bible, and anti-God, really. And um, when he came back, they said, how did you make out? He said, wonderful, wonderful. He said, what was the secret? He said, I just never told him that I was a Christian. Yeah, that's, that's a cop-out, isn't it? That's the easy way out. Our identification is very important. And uh, may God just bless you and, and really help you to, to project that as you go through life. So the tempest, as I said... God prepared the wind, prepared the fish, and swallowed our dear Jonah. And so he went from God. He ran from God. And uh, now Job was a man of integrity. He was a man that, that was a righteous man. He was a good man in many respects. But he knew about Nineveh. When God says, go to Nineveh, of all places, Lord, you want me to go to Nineveh? Now, I can understand how he reacted. Of course, it wasn't right what he did. But, you know, Nineveh was a horrible city. I mean, they were the people that when they took their enemies in, that literally flayed the skin off their bodies. Many times a person that was captured would commit suicide rather than fall in the hands of the Ninevites or Phoenicians. That's how cruel. They would leave you in the sand and let ants come and gnaw at your body day and night or in the heat of the day. And uh, some of the things, in fact, Phoenicia were the first ones to invent the stake, storicas, which where we get the cross from. They were the first ones that invented that. And they would take a, a huge poem and chip off and, uh, the front of it, make a point, and then they would gouge their victims with it or their prison or whatever and then they would leave them suspended in midair on that stake, stork. They were cruel people. And, and he knew that. He didn't want God to bless that nation. Let them come under judgment. Uh, and in fact, that's what he was waiting for. And uh, so Jonah finally says, throw me overboard. That's the last resort, isn't it? 
he had suicidal urges, not only here, but in chapter 4. Not only give up the ministry, but, Lord, take my life. He wasn't the only one. Elijah said the same thing. I'm the only one, Lord. I'm having it rough and tough. All the other servants of God have failed you. I'm the only one left. God says, get up, Elijah. I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And he wanted to die. He said, take my life. Take my life. Strange how he wanted to commit suicide, and yet he was afraid of Jezebel, the wicked queen. You know, you see how we are in our makeup? Scared to die at the hands of Jezebel, and yet he wants God to, to kill him. Strange. I don't understand these things in life, but maybe you've been there. I've had calls of people saying, I'm going to end my life, and uh, how many we've been able to help. And sort of divert. I don't know. But I never thought I'd ever see it in the Bahamas. Like we have it now. Oh, my heart is heavy sometimes. Sometimes two in the morning. Watching the TV program. And BCN or or, or other stations. And then I get these calls. And and this is in Nassau. And so we we need to pray for our nation. We need, as Brother Allen said, we need to cry to God. If this is a little Nineveh, we need to pray that God will come in and intervene and that we'll see the hand of the Lord in mighty blessing. I, I, I can't stay there too long in chapter 1, but now we find him in the fish's belly, chapter 2. Now it's a period of supplication. And you know what's amazing about chapter 2? He doesn't pray once for himself to be delivered from the fish's belly. That's the first thing that I would pray for, wouldn't you? I want to get out of this place. Man, the darkness alone and the seaweed wrapped around his face. That, it, that, that irritating uh, seaweed. And who knows what else probably was there. And the slime of the whale's belly and the heat. It's a miracle that he wasn't digested. Three days, you couldn't live in a whale's belly three days under normal circumstances. But there he is. In fact, he cries. He, he likens it to hell itself. But he never prayed for deliverance. I marvel at that. But instead, you know what he does? He praises God twice in the chapter. He, he praises the Lord. And you know what he says? Lord, when I get out of this place, he didn't use those terms, of course, but that's what he meant. I'm going to go to your temple. I'm going to go to church. <laughs> you have that? You have been there? The moment you have a problem that rises up in your life, or some crisis in your life, you can either be a better person or you're going to be a bitter person, one or the other. But you come to church. And let me tell you something. There's more value in church than you can imagine. I don't have time to go into all of, all of the benefits. And then, I think it's verse 9, he says, And Lord, I'm going to go there to praise you. Can you imagine? Praising the Lord in the fish's belly. And with a, with a note of thanksgiving to God. Man, what a man. You know, he, he's running to God now, you see. A crisis will bring you nearer. Or you can go further away, depending, of course, on your attitude. But God is so gracious to the man. And um, Jonah must have been a liberal. <laughs> the whale, whale vomited him out on that beach. Somebody said it was a Baptist. I better be careful here. I'm treading on thin ice. And, but 
But I, I rather believe that the whale didn't have anything to do with it, but he only obeyed the command of God. Do you ever notice that? And God spoke to the whale. Man, listen, sometimes when you read the Bible, I, I miss some things in life. That's good enough for me. He spoke to the whale. Vomit him up. If he hadn't, Jonah would have died in the whale. But God spoke to him. So God knows whale language. The point I want to say is one day he spoke to a rooster to, to make a noise three times. One day he took a raven to feed Elijah. One day he took a, a I was going to say jack out, but that may not be polite, a donkey. To speak to who? Come on. Balaam. So God, God can use a donkey. I said, Lord, there's, there's hope for me. <laughs> there's hope for me. <laughs> yes, sir. So God is so marvelous. He knows the language of a donkey. He knows the language of a rooster. He knows the language of a raven. And he knows the, the language of a whale. Isn't it amazing? He spoke to the whale. Oh, listen, when he speaks to us. Now, we're of a higher bracket. Okay, that is, our vocation is higher. We're man. We're created in the image of God. Uh, and he said, let us make man in our image. What a wonderful passage that is. Because he wanted us to be created in his character. Uh, in the image of his character. And that's his likeness. You know, sad, that image was soon marred because of man's disobedience, like Jonah's disobedience. And Adam found himself and his wife hiding. Cain found himself lying. Later on, you come to a man like the Apostle Paul. He's dying, but there's a difference. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Cain bore in his body the marks of sin. Paul says, I am prepared to die for him. And eventually he died for the Lord. You see the difference? Cain was out of touch with God. I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm not his bodyguard. Ah, the voice of your brother cries to me from the ground. It places a mark on him of dishonor. It's good to have a mark of Jesus on our life, a mark of honor. Go on for him and uh, read chapter 2. I, I don't have time to go in all of the verses, but you read it, will you? And, uh, and uh, I just want to remind you of something I heard a couple of years ago, and I thought it was good, and I wrote it down. Listen, sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will teach you more than you want to know. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. Oh, the reality of those words. Sometimes you go and you try it and you find out that, that uh, you can't turn back. And uh, you just go on and on. You plunge deeper, deeper and deeper. But you know, God is a God of grace and is a God of forgiveness. There in the whale's belly, he ran to God. And God was, was with him, and God blessed him, and um, he learned that uh, God is still going to use him because of his integrity. Uh, speaking of integrity, the word means a real balance in, in character and in life. 
Integrity is what you are when nobody is looking. Okay? And uh, sometimes I quote, I used to quote that verse in Job so many times. Uh, the wife of Job, she, remember we just say, curse God and die. But it doesn't say that. It, yeah, that's a lot of part of the verse. But the first part of the verse is very important. Do you still hold on to your integrity? You see the difference? Then she said, curse God and die. But Job held on to his integrity. Jonah held on to his integrity to a point. His attitude needed to be changed. But nevertheless, he obeys God. And he goes out. And in chapter uh, 3, from chapter 1, the accommodation by going away from God. And uh, chapter 2, his supplication. His petitioning that he made there in the Wales Valley. But chapter 3, his proclamation. I love this. I wonder sometimes, uh, I don't want to be overly humorous here, but I wonder what he looked like when he came out of that fish's belly. You ever thought of that? Man, if he was a white man, I believe he was pale. I really believe he, was, he had a sickly look. I may, be, I may be wrong. I know the miracle saved his life. Seaweed still around his neck. It must, it must have been a sight. Somebody comes along, you know, and says, uh, Jonah, where are you going? He says, I'm going to Nineveh. He says, how are you going? He says, I'm going by land. Why don't you take a boat? He said, what? No boat for me. Or he, they must have said, they may have said, well, it's good to meet you, Mr. Jonah. Why don't you come for supper? Says, yes, I will. Says, we got some lovely fish for you. <laughs> Man, how do you think he responded there? Vine. By the way, that was not my humor. That Jerry Vines, okay? Give him the credit. But I enjoyed it. I like a laugh, don't you? Laughter is a medicine to the soul. We need to laugh more than we do. It's easy to, to be... So negative, and you know, and I, I like what Joel Osteen said. Some people don't like Joel, but sometimes he gives me some good illustration. Brother Joel said, said, if you want to soar like the eagle, don't spend too much time with the turkeys. <laughs> I love turkeys, by the way. I love people that are negative. But it is true, if you stay around them all the time, you know, they sort of get you down, don't they? Or you've got to be strong enough to lift them up. Try to be more positive. You're one that, that's like one of the turkeys, okay? I say that in love now. If you like to ask the Lord just to lift your spirits and rejoice in the Lord always. Because Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. When he gets you losing your joy, then he captures you. And, he, and you're subject to all kinds of problems and, and temptations, you see. And so... Let's learn to rejoice in the Lord. Ever a man that could grumble about his condition, he said, I've learned that whatever state I'm in to be content. And here he is in prison writing these words. And he's writing uh, to the Philippians. And he got a few sisters there in chapter 4. By the way, if I did that, if I wrote a letter to Calvary and I said, 
uh, and for Alan to read it, Pastor Alan to read it here, and uh, brother so and so would call your names, man. I tell you, you'd never have me preach here again. Uh, Paul said, "I beseech Yodius and, and Syntyche that to be of the same mind." But the thing is, is in chapter four it says, "Rejoice always, <laughs> always." Marvelous, isn't it? A man in prison now. It wasn't long after that that, that uh, most likely he was decapitated. They cut his head off. And it was with the Lord instantly. Oh, my friend, chapter 3 is that proclamation now. And uh, verse 1, I've got to mention this. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. I love that. You see, God is a God of second chance. You say, Brother Frank, uh, I need a second chance. I've failed him. I've failed him in my life. I don't want to know. Don't open the cesspit to me this morning. I don't want to know what your failure has been, okay? That's between you and the Lord. But confess it to him. Tell him about it. You see, he's a God of second uh, chance and third and fourth. And uh, if a man that really enjoyed that was the Apostle Peter, who denied the Lord three times and boasted that he would die with him. And 50 days later or so, that was a man that God raised up to preach the greatest evangelistic message of all the disciples, really. And 3,000 people were converted at one time. God is a God of second chance. Get out of the mud, the slum area, if you're living there. Rise above it this morning. God loves you. Don't let the devil browbeat you and keep you down and say, you're no good. We know that. Because the word tells us, like the Apostle Paul, in me dwelleth no good thing. Not that we pride ourselves in failure and being no good. That's not the point. The point is this. We're human beings. And we are subject to failure. But there is repentance. There is also remission of sins. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from. Except that one sin? Or that other sin? No. All sin. Of course, we turn our backs on it. We ask you for strength and power to live for him. We want to emerge as victors that day by day we'll be able to walk in the sunlight of his love and in his grace. But remember, he's a God of second chance. I think of John Mark, a little young evangelist, packed his little bag that day to go with Uncle Barnabas and the great Apostle Paul. And he's going on his missionary journey. It reminds me of myself in some way. But, you know, he didn't get very far, and he said, Uncle, I can't take this anymore. So he turned back. I don't know what Barnabas told him. But the next go around, when Paul wanted to go on another journey, and uh, Uncle Barnabas again had a real love for his nephew. He said, uh, we've got to take John Mark. He said, no way. You read it. It was a very strong argument between those two great men. And uh, so Barnabas won out. He went with John Mark another direction. And uh, Paul took Silas and he went in another uh, journey another direction. Men who could agree, they disagreed, but they agreed at least to go. Don't let it hinder the work. And you know the Bible well enough. Later on, the last part of Timothy, Second Timothy, he said, bring the parchments he must, and bring, bring my cloak. He must begin, begin to feel cold. He said, oh, and bring John Mark. 
He's profitable to me in the ministry. Isn't it nice to Spirit of God should put that in the Bible later on to see young John Mark wasn't he was now he was a vibrant, successful evangelist for God. God of second chance. Elijah, we could go on and on. He is a God of second chance. Oh, to trust him, to lean on him. And um and really go on for the Lord. Speak well of Jesus. Talk about him as much as you can. Then he cried unto the city in verse 4. And they believed. And even the king took off his robe. Can you imagine? And uh, sackcloth and ashes. And they bowed and cried. Perhaps the God of heaven will hear us. And he will forgive us. A beautiful chapter by the way. And God relented. That is he, he decided he would not bring judgment. On Nineveh, because 120,000 people had bowed to the need of God. And that is something, you know, that, that is really marvelous when you think of it. They believed, and they cried, it says, mightily to God, the grace of God, and he spared Nineveh. He only saved Noah and his family. He would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah if five righteous people were there, but he never spared Sodom and Gomorrah. There are some incidents in the scripture where God spared some things. We won't have time to go into it. But there there were two women who agreed I should say, um, who were sleeping one night and apparently they were close together. And um, one of them, I hope I'm getting my story right. But um, she took her baby as they agreed and they would eat her baby. Of course, there are two incidents. One to eat the baby and the other one was uh, one of the mother's rolled on the baby and the baby died. So I hope I'm getting the right one uh, in perspective here. But you you help you forgive me. You you understand, I'm sure. I'm not worried about it. But um in any case, um this poor woman her baby wasn't spared. That's the one with a famine. There was an incident, there is an, uh, a verse in, in Romans chapter 8, beautiful verse. God spared not his son, but gave him up or to us who believe. He spares a lot of us with our problems and our failures. His, his, he spared Nineveh and uh, he was gracious to Noah and his family. And uh, he, he's gracious to us. But his own son, he turns it back. Thus the Savior cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Maybe it was a, a fulfillment of the prophecy of Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because I do not believe for the moment that Jesus ever lost his mental faculties on the cross. In fact, at the very last when he expired... It says, and he shouted with a loud voice, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Think of what all that he went through. That he had come destined 
to take your sin and my sin there on himself at Calvary, to die in your place and my place. Oh, can I evaluate to a degree what he went through for, for me this morning? All I know that it's the greatest act in the history of mankind that Christ died for you and for me. How I respond is important this morning. May God help us to have the right attitude, not like that of Jonah, to come to chapter 4. And uh, we want to close out with this, because in it, he runs into God. There's a confrontation. He has a wrong attitude. Because of a revival or an awakening, an entire city. And so, uh, he is trying to get out of the heat of the day, the sun, and God does something for him. He raises up a gourd. I'm not sure what type of plant it was, but it was a shady plant. It grew above his head. And it shaded him. And he was comfortable. He enjoyed that. And he was enjoying the gourd. It's amazing how many things that God prepared in the book of Jonah. He prepared a great wind, chapter 1, a great fish. And now he prepares a gourd, uh, a plant to, to shade Jonah. Then he prepares a worm. Then he prepares an east wind. Um, I think it's something else he prepares in the book. Uh, I didn't write them all down, but I'm sure that if you read it carefully, uh, you will come up with, with the last one that God prepared. But then God has a confrontation with Jonah about the gourd. Oh, he said, you had a lot of pity for the gourd when I prepared a worm. But you have no pity for Nineveh. Can you imagine that? He was more interested in the shade and in fact, he stood outside the city to see what God was going to do. He was still hoping that God would destroy Nineveh. And he was angry. Dost thou well to be angry? He said, I sure do. Boy, Jonah became arrogant in chapter 4. Believe me, he did. In fact, I, I was hoping the chapter would go out a little different than that, have a, a different ending. I don't know... Really what happened to Jonah? But I, of course I know that a hundred years later what happened to Nineveh, Nahum, the book of Nahum. You should always read Nahum with Jonah, by the way, because there God comes down in judgment on Nineveh because of their transgression. They, whatever happened, we're not told. But in the book of Nahum, the prophet Nahum, it is brought out how God judges that city a hundred years later. But Jonah would have been glad. Yeah, but that's the wrong attitude. The wrong attitude. Oh, my friend, listen. There are people who have got their own way, their own plans. And uh, I think of science. They say, invent your way out. The philosopher, he says, think your way out. The businessman says, work your way out. The poor drunk, he says, drink your way out. But listen, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way out. And he is the only way, I say it, uh, from the depths of my heart, my friends, listen. There are no other, there are no other, there's no other hope. There's no hope for anyone apart from Jesus Christ. As for the Christian, there are no substitute either for the work of God and fellowship with the Lord. 
If you're out of touch with the Lord today, get back with him. And remember, he's a God of second chance. And uh, I don't know what your gourd is. It might be a very innocent gourd. Or you can be up late nights watching the ball games. And I like sports, by the way. I'm not anti-sport, okay? I do have conviction sometimes how much time I spend with certain things in life. And when it comes to the Bible and prayer, then I, I come short in it. So I have to be very careful. I'm speaking to the preacher now, all right? What's your gourd? Is it uh, something else? You might be comfortable in your work, in your business, and then one day discover that it all blow up in your face. What is your gourd? The Lord knows how to prepare a worm, a little worm. While Jonah was fast asleep and comfortable, waiting to see the judgment of God on Jonah, and the worm begins to gnaw away at his gourd, at his comfort zone. <laughs> God knows how to take away our comfort zone and bring us to himself. You can't run away from God, you see. And so he says, yes, I'm happy. You know what, I, I like a story that I read some time ago with Napoleon. When he came to a town, these men, they, they were just, I don't know, they, they were sort of saturated with the idea of just conquering city after city, plunging, uh, plundering rather as they went, and killing people. Uh, you know, it hasn't stopped, by the way. It's still going on. Gaddafi's running from it for his life. We could go on and on. But listen, um, when they came to the little town, all the generals or his leading uh, men in his army came to him. And he said, uh, how much gold? He said, very, very little. But we've been in the churches and uh, there, are, there are a few saints made out of gold. I like what Napoleon said. Melt the saints and put them in circulation. <laughs> Why? I like that. <laughs> when I read that, I said, hallelujah. <laughs> Lord, melt the saints. Put us in the circulation. We've been in the fr freezing department too long. Loosen up. Be filled with joy today, saints. Lift your sights. Who do you belong to? The king of kings. You are a royal subject this morning. Stop bellowing and wallowing in the mud and the muck of life. Rise up this morning. Remember who you are as a child of God. And God will put us in circulation. <laughs> Melt the saints. I'm so glad. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I don't have much time left in this life, but it doesn't bother me. I, I ask him, Lord, give me a little longer. Just a little longer. Just to be able to come to Calvary and preach to you this morning. <laughs> Amen. I, I close with this one little story. I have a friend of mine in Bermuda. He works in a, in a business, a well-known business. Anyhow, while, one day he said, Frank, a terrible thing happened. I said, what's that? He said, the computer blew up. I've never heard of this happening. Maybe you have. I said, man, that's horrible. I said, all of the accounts of these foreign companies that you deal with, he said, it's horrible, man. He said, you've lost all those accounts. You're going to be in trouble. He said, I, ah. then he came back with a smile. He said, no. He said, uh, we have a backup memory system. And we have all the accounts on the, this backup, whatever. I, I only know how to turn my internet on and off. Uh, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. 
But you know something? I got it from my daughter, really, who's with me. But uh, I thought of Calvary and I thought of sin. Thank God he has no backup memory system. He said, as far as the east is from the west, so have I removed your transgression. I've taken your sins and I've cast them behind my back. And Hebrew says, I will remember your sin no more. <laughs> no backup memory system. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Boy, that's not praise God this morning. And set us aflame for him. I'm going to ask you now. I'm going to close in prayer. But before we do, I'm going to ask you to stand. As there are Christians, maybe you're heavy hearted. You have problems crying. I rarely ever do this. Brother Allen, can you come up? Stand here with me. And uh, you want to come up for prayer. We're not going to ask you to you know, talk about your problem, anything like that. We just want to pray for you. We want to, want to encourage your heart. Pastor Lee is with me here. You Just step out of your seat, okay? Just step out of your seat. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. You come, because we all need I need it. I'm standing here myself. God bless you. Sis. And you. Come on. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You come. We could sing a verse of have thine own way. I think you know it by heart. Have thine own way, Lord. You come for prayer. Come on. You know the burden of your heart. Remember, he's a God of second chance. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded I'm still. It's bowed in for the pastor Leakett. Commend these dear ones to the Lord. Whatever your particular need is, the Lord knows. Remember that. He's a God of second chance. The blood of Jesus Christ says he raised them all, once and for all. And we glory in that today. We thank you for these individuals from your spirit has touched today because of some need in their lives. Father, we pray that whatever that need or those needs may be, that right now you might touch them in such a way that that need is met and fulfilled. And we pray that they and all of us might truly be able to rejoice in the Lord because of the great things he has done for us through Calvary. We ask your blessing then upon these individuals and the work you will do in their lives because of the fact that they today have once again surrendered themselves to you. We give you thanks in our Savior's precious name. Amen. Amen.